0: Hey, everybody, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. If you're just coming upon this podcast, I want you to know that it is primarily 12-step recovery-based information. Uh, People come in and tell their stories of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now after going through the 12 steps. Um, So if you're looking to quit... And you've had enough, and maybe we woke up today and said, "I'm not going to do that again." Uh, listen to some of these stories for some inf- inspiration in that direction. Along those lines, 12-step spiritual recovery is a, a program, a 12-step program for everyone. <clears throat> you don't, you know, for the most part, the hundred or so 12-step fellowships that are out there are primarily uh, based off of a particular malady you can, um, you got to be an alcoholic, an addict, an overeater, a gambler, or something of that nature. And uh, 12-step recovery just says, come as you are. And uh, the, the same 12-step tools that save millions of hopeless alcoholics and addicts uh, can certainly bring something to your life as well. Hang on. <clears throat> I don't have a cough button like some of the big people do. Uh, so 12-step spiritual recovery by James Christopher Cone is the book on Amazon and if you go to 12stepspiritualrecovery.com you can get to uh, the meeting schedules and one of a couple of which are uh, Zoom based meetings and that means you can attend them from any place in the world. So uh, check that out and thank you and prayers both to Darren Frank for the music he allows me to wrap around this podcast. Well, my guest today I've had quite a bit of years of history with, Uh, and boy, it's one thing, and I tell my guests to don't get hung up on timelines, and that it was the very first thing that came to my mind was to try to think about when it was that I first met Nick, Um, and I'll go on with that in just a minute. How's it going, brother?
1: Good, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Let's get your sobriety date out of the way. Uh, my name's Nick, addict, alcoholic. Uh, sobriety date is 6 2022
0: 2022. So that makes you a year next month. This last month. Yeah. But you're, this is that's what's got me messed up. You're bumping because his sponsor was on vacation in June, and uh, he bumping to July to uh, uh, celebrate formally. Yeah. Uh, so I don't remember when it was, but you couldn't, were you not, were you being, I remember Brian Beck being involved. Yes. Uh, it was so. back that long ago that we first met. Yeah. And, uh, and then you work in, in and out and yeah. out. And yeah. then I sponsored you for a little while mm-hmm. and then you disappeared again. Yeah. And now you're back again. But, you know, that's what this recovery thing is, man. And that's why they say that stupid little chant in there, keep coming back, keep okay. digging, keep trying. Yes. And, you know, uh, and this is, it, this is one place I know that every time you come back, the arms are still open again, you know. Uh, our brains doesn't want to really think that when I'm sitting at home wondering if I should go you know kind of thinking I should go to a meeting I know I should but that pride and ego says no and then you walk back in the doors and everybody's happy to see you again you're like God dang it there and yeah. uh, but there's also some energy wrapped around that with uh, uh, the ego thing the deal it it's well like as i talk about the disease being like a parasite or a computer virus that hijack your operating system it really does yeah. and it will tell you don't go back there okay. you know it's it, it'll keep you out of the rooms if you listen to it so um that's just part of the thing man keep keep trying keep trying and keep trying you know uh and I think of this and they're one of those things you know keep coming back until the miracle happens too right and that's exactly what I'm a product to keep coming back I stumbled for four years before my before I finally got a sobriety date I could cling to uh and most of you know most of us stumble out of the gates as I say
1: uh where are you born where'd you grow up uh, so I've been in Louisville Kentucky my whole life pretty much the jaytown Frank Creek hikes Point area it's so I've had like two houses growing up you know with my parents and they were stayed three, put for the most part. three miles apart four yeah. miles apart yeah you got siblings uh yeah i have a younger sister who's like three three and a half years younger than me yeah and she's a she's a good woman she's kind of taken over uh being this almost a single mom to an extent for a while oh yeah yeah so. and uh She's got a couple kids. So yeah, I got a 12-year-old nephew
0: and an 11-year-old niece. Yeah, yeah, I've heard a bit about. So, yeah. 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 Cool stuff there. Um, how was growing up? What was what was your childhood like, the best year of your recollection?
1: So, I mean, you know, as an alcoholic, I guess, like, one part of my disease is I compare a lot, you know. And, I mean, I compared to, like, my friends and stuff, I thought I had a pretty good home life, you know, pretty good family. Never grew up with, like, fighting parents or anything. Yeah. Um, My dad was an alcoholic. He's actually recovering, recovering, recovered. Been sober 10 years now, or maybe even 11. Um, So, But he was drinking while you were growing up. Yeah, but it was never, like, so, and he even told me this, like, he was just, like, always trying to be my buddy. You know, that's, like, that's how his father was with him. That's how he was with me, so he was you know take me golf and just have a good time whatever you know
0: was not the monster alcoholic parent that you sometimes hear about and I like to think of myself as that too because I was growing up and my kids were little I wasn't a monster but the alcohol still affected things even though
1: I think he's told me like he spanked me one like the last time he you know he grew up in the 70s or whatever and he hit me with a belt when I was five for I don't know what I did you yeah. know just being a kid and that was like he was like I don't want to hurt my son like that yeah. you know that's like the evolution of generations where yep. that was normal kind of discipline then so and that just wasn't him you know he wasn't he want to beat me up you know yep. to discipline yep. me so um, no he was never I could count on my life. mom and dad were together Uh yeah so well like I guess uh, so I have a biological father I never met oh um when I, my mother had me, he was he was in the he was an alcoholic, uh, my biological father, and um, she, I guess he became abusive towards her. Um, this was like when I was six months old or something like that, and she left him and filed for sole custody, and he just gave me up to her basically. So I actually never met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so your mom remarried. Yeah, she remarried, like, my, my dad now, the guy I call my dad is was, like, her high school sweetheart, but he's, oh, really? he was, like, four years younger than her, uh, or three years younger, or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. So, it was kind of one of those uh, rekindling kind of, you know, romance, high school romance or whatever, after she divorced him, yeah. and... Uh,
0: do you remember that happening, or were you so little that you? That it no, just I, seems like
1: he's always been. Yeah, my, no, he's always been my dad. She actually didn't tell me until I was like six or seven, somewhere in that age range. Uh, that you know, hey, you know, you you have a biological father. Yeah. Like you know, explaining this kind of dynamics to a small kid. Yeah, and like kind of click with me. Okay, he's. You know, he's my dad, but he's not really my my biological. Yeah. You know, he's not. And I don't know nothing.
0: I'm a little kid.
1: I'm not. Yeah, okay. I'm, not, I'm not chemically connected to him or biologically connected. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, I've always called him my dad. So yeah.
0: it just struck me. And I don't know why. But so I'll just, you know, it could have been that that's when you first remembered her telling you you know, that rather than, uh, yeah. than, than, than she first told you uh, yeah. that the first time that it actually sunk in right. as uh, doesn't make any difference one like, in Just moment. interesting, yeah. I think about back when we were little kids like that and what memories I do have and what memories I don't have. Yeah. And then I have this batch of memories that have been implanted into me mm-hmm. that I'm too young to have remembered. Yeah. I dove out of a car after a rubber ducky when I was a little kid like one And I've been told that story so many times, and as a matter of fact, I've been on the road where I did it, and my parents say, this is where you've done it, and it's implanted a memory into me like I can remember it, like I was actually have some recollection of doing that. But there's no fucking way
1: (laughs) (laughs) that I could remember that. Right. Uh, I, I remember riding, I was riding in the car with her, and I remember being in the car when I guess maybe not the first time she told me, but when it finally Yeah, right. In. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah, it's not a big deal. I just, uh, yeah, just yeah. have some curiosity at some level about like it with little kids and, uh, how we can, yeah, because it was, you know, because when that does come in, there's, that's like creates an anchor point that create that where a memory sticks. Like another one I talk about is I was three when we moved in this house and I remember doing that. Now, that's a pretty good little chunk away you know three years old but i think because it was such a monumental thing to me that it anchored uh that memory and i have a few memories of the house before that and i have no idea how that i have these memories and some of them don't make sense uh today i wonder if it's fancied or real as uh as bill talks about yeah. so growing up was cool no real big deal so everything just was pretty smooth sailing had what you wanted for the most part and
1: if anything i was probably spoiled mm-hmm. like you know it was the, my parents both they own a private business they so they, they you know they work a lot uh run a restaurant and uh you know it's busy times a year whatever they're not around so now there was never like a oh i don't know where my next meal is coming from like i had the best toys in the neighborhood and all those kinds of things, you know? Yep. So spoiled is actually yep. the best description. Yep. Really.
0: Some people, you know, a lot of alcoholics, and I have, you know, this is the 289th episode. Uh, the vast majority of them have crappy childhoods. Yeah. Uh, but like you, like I, uh, didn't. And really, you know, I had a pretty fantastic childhood. Yeah. But yet there was still something missing, and as I... Get as I work these steps and practice these principles, I realize that more and more about how I felt that quintessential, not a part of, nothing would, could really fulfill me. There was always like something missing.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I I was never a good student in school. Like, I was tested well, but I would always like manipulate myself out of like doing the work, so to speak. Uh, I remember, I think it was like second or third grade. I spent my whole, like, Christmas vacation making up the homework I had lied to my parents about that I never got. And I actually did that again my freshman year in high school. It's like, I just was like, I would test well, and the, like, teachers would say, he tests, he could take advanced classes, but he's too lazy.
0: Yep, yep. I think, actually, for the vast majority of us, we're not, it's not an intelligence thing. It's a, I think it really is probably boredom. It's not challenging enough. And then, then you hit this point when it gets challenging, and because you didn't do any of the challenging things, now I'm struggling to stay caught up because of uh, I drug my feet on the fundamentals because they didn't challenge me. Uh, you, you I can remember going through math, you know, and math was really easy, and then when it started getting harder and you got to algebra and calculus and this kind of thing, I was lost. I was so far behind, I just had like, I didn't know how I would ever keep up. You know, how I thought I was just, might as well just throw in the towel and quit this shit. Uh, When do you remember when you first started drinking? When you first started? Any kind uh, of substance that made you change? uh, Yeah, I think it was like 13 or 14. Same ding, ding, ding. uh, They'll ring your name.
1: No it was pretty mm-hmm. common. So my mother's side of the family is all out of state. My father's side of the family is all J town, Hikes Point, Fern Creek, mm-hmm. Louisville, Kentucky, um, and they are a very social drinking family. You know, any gathering, I think I can go through like old family photos, and pretty much every relative's got a can of Miller Light in their hand or something. Same know. here. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty just you know, common. you know to see. I, I I don't ever remember seeing like relatives when I was really young like drunk yeah fall down pass out hit their head like black or out, drunk stupid or, yeah or nothing like that it was just a social mean, same here. yeah social uh, kind it's of like so normalized. I I thought that was normal yeah and uh, I think I was uh, like thirteen or fourteen and like one of my best friends like when I was growing up he was in military family had moved away for years and then they finally came back to Louisville and i started hanging out with him and i was uh i think freshman year of high school so yeah i think 14 and um he had mentioned something about smoking pot and uh, so we went to a party it got high and that first time like i don't even really remember the effect i remember just being like super paranoid mm. um and i think i maybe had had a beer or something i never like liked the taste of beer at all um but then, like, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to try that again, you know, because, like, that whole, like, excitement aspect of it getting caught or whatever, too, is kind of a, a little bit of a rush. Yeah, the
0: the thrill of doing something wrong and getting right. away with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, like, early on in high school, I became pretty, like, my weekends were filled with, like, let's go get high. Let's go get drinks. Let's go do something like that, you know. I was pretty decent, like at sports, but I never had the grades to actually stay on a high school team. Mm. Even my golf coach like tried to take me under his wing, but he was like, "You know, you can't play. Your grades are you can't play if you don't have the grades." Type mm. deal. So like, like athletics in high school and stuff were never really an option. Not ever applied myself. Uh, so I kind of just like started hanging out with that crowd of guys that you know, you know, go hang out at the park on the weekends, smoke joints or whatever. Um, and then, uh, my family aspects, I, uh, they on the restaurant, I started working there when I was 14 and it became a pretty common occurrence for that group of people to have like weekend parties and they kind of sheltered me from it for a while, you know? Um, but eventually, cause they wanted me to be accepted type deal, uh, start allowing me to go. And I can actually remember like one of the first times I had like my own beer in front of me was at like the work Christmas party and my uh, I believe it was my father, might have been my mother, I can't remember, you know. Brain fog, but uh came and sat like a pitcher of beard out in front of me. And hmm. That was just kinda like, you know, here, you're one of the crowd. Yeah, welcome now. to the club. Yeah, exactly. Um and you know, from then on it was pretty much like every weekend it was like, you know, let's go have fun. Yeah. You know?
0: did you tend to uh overshoot the mark or were you a moderator and stayed pretty good with it
1: yeah early on i kind of started out uh you know the first time you drink vodka and orange juice and you're thrown up over the side of the deck it kind of you don't like that feeling too much um so uh, early on i you know I, i never really uh had any like what i would say like close calls or anything i was I was always kind of sheltered even in my using. Like, it was actually kind of allowed at my house, like, to an extent. Um, Same here. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I think I drank more in my teens and, like, partied more in my teens at my parents' house than I did anywhere else. Hmm. It was just kind of, uh, like they felt safer knowing i was there type yeah
0: if you're gonna drink you might as well do it here and
1: then that'll yep yeah and times i mean people people there's some
0: logic to that too you know i mean because you're not it's not like them telling you otherwise is gonna make you stop right Uh, you'll just start running around and the fact of the matter is if you're out and about doing it you got a whole lot more chance of getting in trouble than you do uh sitting at home right yeah, I'm became, not sure it's a good philosophy of parenting either. You know, and I'm not going <laughs> to knock anybody. You know? yeah, that's not yeah. what the point is. Yeah. It's more like I don't think that's what I will do.
1: Uh, I, I think I times were a little different too. Yeah, you know? I mean, was. I say that was 25 years ago or whatever. Yep, but, it you know, was different. Yeah, it yep. was a little different then. We yep. don't know what we know now and yep. type deal.
0: And I had a lot of friends' parents that did the same thing. Yeah. You know, uh, would facilitate it. Yeah, uh, exactly. My parents bought, bought, you know, bought it before I was legal to. You know, that was one way they, you know, and that's, you know, that's illegal. <laughs> you yeah. can't buy alcohol for a minor. Yeah. Uh, but and that's again, it's this is not to throw anybody under the bus or anything like that at <laughs> any level whatsoever. It's just that's these are this is what happened, and here are my feelings about it. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun.
1: Yeah, I had a lot of fun <laughs> growing up. I mean. A lot of guys I worked with, a lot of my people that I'm still friends with to this day, uh, we grew up partying together. I mean, and they've kind of, I would say, grown up to an extent. You know, they have wives, kids, and all that, and uh, they kind of, they kind of, they didn't go keep going like I did, so to speak, you know. Um, Those friendships became strained a little bit, maybe at times, but nothing like to where we didn't talk to each other, you know, every so often.
0: Um, I did not like them. I have no relationship with any of my people that I, I mean, zero. Yeah. There's nobody. I got on Facebook friends with a couple of people that will say hi I went to, but uh, everybody from those days. And there's like two groups. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing is, and two of my best friends in grade school that I used to drink and smoke pot with are dead. Uh, and uh, there's also this group who party just as hard as I did but like they set it down and moved on with their lives and they can still you'll see them at a restaurant and they're drinking a beer here and there or maybe not and you know it didn't hook them the way it did me Right. you know they grew up had kids and careers and moved on with their lives you know and right. they were every bit of everything I was at the moment right. you know yeah. uh, taking every drug I was to drinking just like I was Um. and there's another shot of the guys that's like me that where it swept them off yep. uh, and you know the people who went off family wise you know my I wasn't uh, connected to that they were moving in a different direction than I was moving so there was just a natural separation amongst the, from those friendships yeah uh, and I still know them and we're friendly but it's not like we get together anymore okay right. yeah um got any stories from back then you want to tell
1: uh so uh, I guess like the first time I uh, first time I got sent to rehab by my parents I think I was 16 and a half 17 something like that and, Wow. Uh, yeah, I I basically what happened is I after Christmas break, you know, we go back to school, I didn't go back to school for the first 2 weeks. I was just cutting cutting with the with I don't even say friends, just guys that wanted to get high. You know, I, that, I, that, I, 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 Skipping I, school, getting high. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I started becoming an everyday pot smoker, like about 16 and a half, 17 years old, somewhere around there. And uh, I guess my mom called the school one day to leave a message for me, and the school called her back and was like, oh, Your son isn't here. He hadn't been back since before Christmas. And that's when they you know, found out I had been uh, cutting school. I actually started experimenting a little bit, like doing acid and mushrooms and things like that. Um, and that's when they heard, like, that I had done acid, you know. Like, they were like, you, know, you need to go to rehab. So they sent me to the outpatient program at uh, Our Lady of Peace back then. Hmm. And, um, you know, it didn't stick very well. I-, I can actually remember while I was in rehab, like, four of us, like, left – IOP or whatever you want to call it, and went and smoked a joint, and then went to our required meeting. We had to go to, you know, there's four like pot-smelling kids sitting in the back corner. Yeah, um, and I had somehow manipulated my parents, you know, told them like, oh, it's just a phase type deal, like because I was like, here's how you know I had a problem. I was a, uh, I was taking like a Vaseline bottle and. Filling with bleach and then when I had to go take my piss test I would piss in it and then I would squirt bleach in there and shake it up and as somebody had told me some cockamamie idea that it'll kill all the you know the, THC cells well then it'll and, and, and the thing is it did but the problem was I went from like here to nothing in like a week and they're like that's not possible oh, Yeah. You know, like type deal so then like they you know made me pee in a cup and watch me and all that and, and I, of course I didn't have my Vizine bottle with me because I wasn't supposed to piss or whatever And that's when, like, the, you know, my parents found out, and I somehow manipulated talking into them. Oh, it's not, it's just a phase. I'm just a kid having fun. And little did they know that was just like the start of it, so to speak. Yeah.
0: Like, uh, our little line says, no human power could have relieved our, if you, you the fact of the matter is, if the patient doesn't want to take part in the therapy, uh, you're wasting your time. Yep. If you don't want, to make the change that's being asked of you, Yeah. there's no amount of pressure can force somebody to change.
1: Yeah. And uh, I mean, after that, it was it. I tried. I started doing a better job of hiding it. You know, like obviously, you know, I couldn't cut school anymore without getting caught. You know, yeah. doing that. Um, but I was still just like a terrible student. I didn't actually graduate high school until I was 20. Oh, really? Like I went to the like kind of like the do it on your own time. Jefferson, we call it Jefferson County. Like it's just like you walk in there, they give you a book, you do assignments, there's no actual like teacher in front of the classroom type deal. Yeah.
0: It's not GED, it's actually a diploma. No, it's
1: actually a high school diploma. Uh, but I and I can remember that day I graduated, like I finally finished and I'm like getting in my car and I'm driving, you know, out of there and I like started crying. And I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you now if it was like tears of like disappointment because it took me so damn long to get hmm. my high or like happiness because like I finally did it type, you know, feeling. Uh, maybe both yeah maybe both um and i mean during that whole time i was you know i'd had a couple close calls like blackouts uh you know those type deals she woke up in the backseat of my car one day and my buddy's driving that didn't have a license because i had like taken some xanax and drank some beers and then like it was like winter time this i remember the roads being like covered with snow and some girl in the back seat's yelling, oh, you're, you're all over the place. And I was just like, finally like fine, somebody else drive. And got in the back of my car, and it's the last thing I remember. Sure. Yeah, and then I wake up in the back seat of my car the next day, like, just, like, pop up, like, what the hell's going on? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that, I can, that was, like, the first time I remember, like, waking up and being like, what happened?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it made me just flash back to some times of driving on my own, being yeah. out. I would, I'd do this thing where I would get, loaded by myself out driving around Mm -hmm. and I might end up you know 60, 70 miles away from home kind of thing I could think like going up there's a lot of woods up in Indiana and places that are lowly populated and forestry and stuff like that where I felt like I could Uh, and and, you know just wake up in the truck ones you know and what I actually did is I got too loaded and I pulled over and found a place to park and laid down across the front of the bench seat and crashed out but when I wake up I have forgotten all about that (laughs) and you wake up and like where in the hell oh yeah Yeah. oh man Uh, I had forgotten about that happening
1: yeah I mean I would never ever in my life became like the everyday drinker but when I as I got older, when I drank, I drank hard, and I would a lot of times wake up the next day and not remember, you know, what happened, how did I get here type deal. Um, yeah,
0: that's what I, one of my favorite lines is, I never was a blackout drinker. There was just some, some nights I didn't remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um that
0: defense mechanism to not me i don't have a problem
1: and I, I pretty you know after i graduated when i was 20 i uh i had pretty i had all i had pretty much always had a job since i was 14 working for my parents and then it was kind of like you know time to do something else so i tried some other jobs like land surveying, um landscaping those type deals um was never like the worst employer the best like pretty much at that point like my use hadn't really affected like me showing up to work type deal um, and then like in my early uh, probably th- was, like early thirties I got a job working for the local cable company and that's when like I started like calling in sick because I didn't I'd rather sit home and get high or I got too drunk the night before and that's when like that started affecting just doing like working you know showing up to my job um and during that whole time from like the last those 10 years it was just if i wasn't high that day i was i was high that night like i can't even i could probably count on two hands like you know how many days i didn't get high you know Um, it was pretty much an everyday thing i had a drug dealer that lives like a mile and a half from me so it was like i could walk to go get more pot Mm. Um, i experimented with all kinds of stuff but never really I never bought anything other than pot or like maybe mushrooms on a handful of occasions. And then I would like get blackout whiskey drunk like every weekend type deal. Um, many times getting told what I did the night before and not having a f- clue, you know. Yeah. I, I was lucky to have some good friends that kind of stopped me from getting into too much trouble. I only got arrested once and that was actually stone cold sober. Hmm. Um, just didn't go to traffic school after getting a ticket so i had a suspended oh, license really? didn't know it and, and then got pulled over that cop ran my tags pulled me over and found like a gram of wheat on me and of course you know calls my parents and tells them that's why i was like well that's not why i was arrested but uh, you know it all played a part like being irresponsible and not taking care of priorities because i was too busy yep worrying about where to get my next bus doing what i want to do pretty much um and I, I'd actually, this whole time I'd lived with my parents, uh, they kind of enable it, um, and then it got to a point where, uh, they finally was like, you know, that's it. Like, we're not enabling this anymore. And like, you need to get a place and move out. And I did, uh, of course I kind of manipulated them for a while, you know, keep, how old were you then you think? I was probably 31, 32. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah easy and um but eventually like kind of moved out i got my own place um uh, luckily had a decent job that paid well enough and the market was great and I, I got a house and ever since then i've kind of like even with my use it's like my ho- i'm not losing my house like i'm not gonna be that guy like i don't um and that not to say like that is a point of pride or anything but like that's everything else you know i was still gonna get high every day and i was still gonna go out and drink with my buddies but you know there's always been that like well i'm not that kind i'm not that bad type of an alcoholic or addict or whatever i'm not gonna have my house repoed yeah and, and it's like well very easily could have if i didn't reach out and get help from the fellows of alcoholics anonymous um
0: yeah eventually we're going you'll you'll end up losing it uh,
1: yeah eventually eventually it's... other than that yeah I, I never really had any too many close calls with the law or anything um, I can remember a couple times when I was younger getting searched and not, they didn't find anything on me type deal but mm. getting away like I yeah.
0: had something but didn't
1: catch yeah you. yeah like getting lucky you know uh, yeah. so to speak or somebody something watching over me.
0: Um, I had a number of times back in those days when they would find it and dump it out on you. I remember one time in particular we had a little sucretes box mm-hmm. full of cleaned pot. You know, it was seeded and stemmed, and it was <clears throat> there wasn't the kind of pot that they that we got later on in life. It was <laughs> kind of dry Mexican weed, but yeah. uh, I remember the cop finding it and we were pulled off on some spot getting high like what we do you know you get in a car and go drive someplace and get high because that was only really we didn't have places uh, and if you went to some dude's house then you had to share it with him and so and the cop pulled back in there, stopped us, you know, and he searched us, and we lied, you know, and he found it, you know, and he was doing, oh, well, what do we have here, type of shit, you know. And he picked it up, and he said, all right, well, this is your lucky day, because I'm not taking you in for this, but, and he picked it up, and you just saw it blow away in the wind, you know. And he let us he let us go, though, yeah. you know, and um, and I, I remember one time in particular at the Green Tree Mall, we had gotten a case of beer, and we went to the mall, for whatever reason, I'm not sure what why, what the attraction was, probably girls. Uh, and we went to the mall, and we went in, and we walked around for a little bit, and we'd come back out, and we'd sit and drink a beer or two, and then we'd go back in the mall and walk around for a little bit, and we'd come out and sit, and then whoop, cops is on us. And they sit, and they made us pop and open and empty every one of the, like, 18 or so old beers that were left in that case of beer in the in the parking lot and i always thought you were just uh, that's kind of like a mess you know uh, and they made us take the cans and the garbage you know and but they let us go but they made us pour out all of our beer one by one and that ain't happening today i don't, I don't think i don't hear those stories of uh the cops letting you off the hook and pouring it out anymore no, I think. have more than that. There was some, I can remember a number of times that we had that happen, that that got off the hook.
1: I think times were a little different.
0: Yep, they certainly are.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I guess it was probably, uh, you know, all the drugs and alcohol use over time has definitely like messed up the dates in my head, so yep. to speak.
0: Yep. And I don't even worry about them. Like yeah. I said in the beginning, it's crazy to try and keep track of the
1: dates. Um. So like I was working, you know paying my bills but I, I've, I've actually dealt with like I guess a form of depression type deal even when I was younger like before I ever started using my parents uh, put me on like Adderall Ritalin, because the teachers were like well he doesn't focus you know my mom thought I always thought I was like depressed type deal like just didn't seem as happy as other kids so to speak I guess would be the how she put it mm-hmm. and um, and then like they tried to put me on like you know a couple different drugs Adderall Rentalin I think I took it to Oloft at one point or whatever and my mom just didn't like how it made me like made me a zombie so they took it off and i remember that like when i finally like found weed that was just like a, oh this is how you're supposed to feel like type feeling Yeah,
0: this is the medicine
1: yeah right um so that's like i always like say i've like been self-medicating myself for 25 years sure yeah um and then um so like I've, i've been working and paying my bills and all that but i just really was not happy at all like just going through the motions, coming home miserable, you know, not very fun to be around at work even, even like a couple of people at work have said since I've gotten sober, it's like, man, you're a lot more fun to be around now just because I smile and I'm, you know, I don't, yeah. not like stressed out all the time. Um, yeah. And have a positive outlook on things. You know, that's
0: the other thing that, that other stuff does to you. You know, it may be like that magic medicine, but it also sweeps out like any kind of um, optimistic kind of. Viewpoint and like some, uh, I guess you could just flat out say it takes the joy out of your life. You know, you don't have, uh, yeah. makes <clears throat> you tend to cling on to the negative, it's even worse than we do naturally. You know, the world's going to shit. What's the yeah. sense in living? Life sucks. Then you die. You know, then that's, then you buy that bumper sticker and put it on your car. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, and I mean, I guess I, I consider myself lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it, but I, I never, I never hung around the people i never got introduced to like crack crystal meth heroin the I, so-called
0: I, hard drugs yeah the
1: so-called hard drugs or whatever
0: uh i have no idea how i escaped heroin and pain pills and opiates as long as i did it's like yeah. a mystery to me because if i'd have found them earlier i'd have been doing them earlier
1: yeah i mean i just talking to guys that you know are in the program and stuff it's like i've been in rehab enough times to hear enough stories about all these other drugs and it i was always kind of like i won't say a coward drug addict but kind of a coward like i wouldn't i would never go out of my way like to go find something like i knew i could like you know keep it in a pretty yeah, tight I'll do circle. The stuff i know how to do yeah or i could keep it in a tight <clears throat> circle to find something you know i never had to like go downtown like you know on the street corner looking for the dope man type deal like yeah. i could make four or five phone calls and find somebody who had something i wanted um I remember
0: going to rehab in the beginning, and you know, uh, when first my like my first trip, and there was a few people in there that were heroin addicts, and I was like blown away. I thought my heroin addicts were like either rock stars or in New York City or L.A. Uh, not here. I, I never knew that you could get heroin. This a little bit like. I did not know you could get heroin <laughs> here cuz I did do some crack and I did some other you know had did a bit of cocaine and some other of those harder drugs. Yeah. But heroin was a uh, and now <clears throat> it's, it's more guys walking in AA yeah. with that problem than alcohol.
1: Yes. Yeah, <clears throat> um but I consider myself lucky or blessed because I'm one of those impressionable people. If it was if people I were hanging around would have been doing that stuff, I know I would have tried it. And I'm just judging by what I've heard about these things, I'm probably yeah, would have Swiped liked you it. away, yeah, swept me away, swept me off my feet. Um, and I probably would have been a heroin or junkie addict, you know, or whatever. Um, luckily, I'm just a week. I was a weekend blackout drinker and an everyday pot smoker. But, and, and that was fun for a while. I mean, I had fun in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually it stopped working, and it hadn't been working for probably the last 15 years that I'd been doing it. Yeah, that's a key phrase right there. I mean, yeah. I like, man. I say, man, it
0: was fun for a long time, and yeah. then it quit working. It quit working. Um, and it wasn't fun anymore, and then I couldn't quit. Yeah. I couldn't stop. When it got to be not fun, yeah. it had its hooks in me.
1: Yeah, I tried quitting on my own multiple times. Yeah. i only going to smoke. If I don't have to work the next day, I'll get hired drunk. But if I do have to work, I'm not going to I'm not gonna do those things. Um, yeah, that never worked yeah. for long. But I can't
0: fall. I'm laying in bed, tossing and turning, and I'm like, well, right. fuck it. I'm going to smoke something. I'm going to be able to go to sleep, and you do, and it works.
1: Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, I'd say probably about six years ago now, um, I'd been to the Brook, now I think that was, this. that would have been my second time I think into the Brook. Um, and I met, met a gentleman, Glenn, at the Token Club and he recommended a meeting called Spiritual Underground. And this was back in the day when it was in the basement. Yeah, Glenn W? Uh, Wild Glenn? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I went there and I walk into this pretty small room in this basement It's just packed to the gills of all these men so which, you just found it on a referral from another dude and yeah. you
0: were doing this on your own and no court no mom and dad nothing like that or was uh, some pressure pushed you in there
1: no I had so the last uh, well, I'll say three times now that I've went to rehab I did it basically because I was so freaking miserable
0: yeah you were throwing up the white flag
1: yeah and I mean like just like I, I didn't know how to function as a human being anymore um like i was just like you know 30 something year old man like goes home and he's like either angry or crying you know there was no like middle like Mm -hmm. comfortable calm like happy joyous and free that we you know we talk about yeah so uh, good
0: that's interesting because not a lot of people that's actually the last road that takes most people here is just yourself just being miserable Usually well, there's some pressure from a yeah. law or pressure from a spouse or pressure from a parent or some kind. I'm sure your mom and dad were probably yeah. uh, 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 in agreement with your decision, mm-hmm. if not pressure. Not Did they pressure you?
1: No. I mean, once I was kind of out of their house, they, they're always loving and caring and they give me anything I need. But once I was kind of out of their house, they didn't see me. And I was working night shift at that time. So okay. it's like. At work from 6 p.m. to 5.30 a.m. Like, Uh, they rarely saw me or heard from me. So, did you learn about AA by going
0: to uh, treatment?
1: Well, I've known about AA. So, I've got an alcoholic father, my grandmother, who's since passed. Okay, so
0: 10 years ago, he would have known that he would have quit.
1: I've known about AA for probably 25 years. Okay. Or known of it. Um, I'd never found a meeting that I enjoyed you know before that yeah and anytime i'd gone i never picked up the book on my own or worked any steps i might have had a sponsor for a week and then he never saw me again type deal. right
0: yeah will you sponsor me yeah but i don't want to talk to you (laughs)
1: right (laughs) (laughs) and i I tried in i think the longest stint i had before that i tried na and I, i i was working with a guy but it never materialized in anything more than just like a buddy type deal and then i I do what most people do when they stop going. They just kind of ghost those people they are not mm. part of my life anymore. Yeah. So you
0: got this referral from somebody that sent you to this basement meeting and you walked in there on your own one
1: day. Yeah. I walked in there and I saw a bunch of guys that were just smiling and happy and just like, what is going on in here? You know, this is a different kind of vibe. Uh, the fact it was only guys too is nice because there's no distractions of, you know, the the other sex you know whether you're a guy being distracted by women or women being distracted by guys it happens in these meetings it just does Um, and I heard some things in there I'd never heard before man like the way that y'all talked about it it wasn't just like verbatim everything coming straight out of the big book you know Um, and I met a guy named Brian and asked him to sponsor me and I worked with him for uh, I think about four or five months somewhere around there and I remember
0: seeing you over at Brian's Christmas party
1: yeah and, uh, you know, I just, I thought I was, you take that long off and, you, and then you just kind of put it aside. I guess you thought, oh, I can do this on my own. I don't have to keep going to these meetings and keep calling these guys, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I went back out and, you know, whole town's staying employed. I'm lucky that I work for a company that pays for me to go rehab, basically. And that, you know, so it was never like a worried about losing my job. Um, but then, uh, so it was like August, 2019, I pretty much, you know, went back out for three years. I think something like that, three or four years, um, August, 2019, I, uh, kind of had like a, a mental breakdown at work type deal. Like my supervisor and I got an argument and I like literally grabbed my bag and just started walking towards the door. And then like somebody, co coworker kind of stopped me. He's like, dude, they can fire you for that. I'm like, I thought it was just this. And I went back in there. And, and the supervisor and I actually had a pretty good relationship. And he's, like, pulled me aside. Like, what's going on, man? And I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm out of my mind. Like, I'm losing it. Like, I, I've asked for this and that. Um, and he was like, well, you can go home. You know, get out of here for the day. Like, cover for me. And um, I went home and I called and went back into rehab. And I was like, you know, all right, I'm going to do it this time. Like, I'm going to gonna give it the old college try type right. deal. Um
0: and when you say that was an
1: inpatient or out? No, every time I've been it has been outpatient. outpatient. You know? okay. um, they don't really put you inpatient for being a pothead. Yeah, um, I, I've never like been a danger to myself or others, mm-hmm. so to speak, either. So, um, and sometimes
0: people need that physical break from the substance. You know, like I can't mm, if I yeah. come back home, I'm going to use. But if you give me four five, six days in the inpatient. Yeah, it gives me a chance to kind of break the tie a little bit, so that when they let me out, I gotta run and
1: start, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I, that's when I uh, I went to a Monday night meeting with uh, back when Shane had the meditation meeting, and I remember walking in the room and you you like looked at me and said my name, and I'm like, oh man, this guy actually remembers who the hell I was. I ain't seen him in I don't know, probably been two or three years at that point. Yep. Um, and I'd asked you to sponsor me, and everything was going good, and I worked the steps with you. And then I, my character defects kind of started seeping back in, and I started lying to you, uh, lying to myself, stopped going to meetings. It was right around that time my grandfather passed away, and this was right when COVID hit. So we couldn't have a funeral. Uh, just It is what it, it is what it is back then. Um, yeah, you know, like a
0: comedy of errors in a sense. You know, much, A bunch of yeah. stuff stacks up, and that's what life does to you, man. A yeah. bunch of little things. It's usually not one great big one. So a bunch of little things pile up, and and in that that old cliche, you're only as sick as your secrets. When I start not being truthful to you, then that's a little worm inside my heart that's starting to say, okay, put some distance between you and that guy because you ain't been truthful, you know. And then it just the disease, just like I said, that parasite, it mm-hmm. gets another uh, rebirth and hijacks you.
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's like one of my biggest character defects. I lied all through school about my homework. Like I, I would just lie to get out of things, you know, like make up stories, so to speak. I would lie about things I did to try to get you to like me. You mm-hmm. uh, know, if, if you're just a regular guy, oh, I like that too, and I don't have a clue what the hell it is, or you know, type thing. Yeah. Um, and I actually stayed like sober for another six months. It was like all the way from like August. I want to say August seventh, two thousand nineteen, till. November 15th to 2020. I actually don't remember the dates. Cause I looked it up in the text messages. Cause I woke up one day in November and I was going to get high that day. There was no way. And nobody was going to stop me. So I started calling buddies. I hadn't talked to in months. I mean, heck years probably at that point. And like, just trying to not even going about it. Like asking about it, just like, Hey, you want to hang out? And I'd get over there and like, like I'm sitting there in my head, like pull out some weed, pull out some week, pull out some weed, you know, or that type of deal. Um, and it was, you know, of course, the whole plan was I was only gonna get high once, and that, yeah, like the next day I'm calling the old drug dealer. And of course, they'll take my money. They yep. don't care. If They're they don't always talk. there. Yeah, that's another person that's always standing there with open arms. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, from November 2020 till uh, I went back out from you know November 2020 till uh June 2022, and was just still going to work. Uh, you know, I, 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 I've, I've, uh, I was you know i've always kind of been on the borderline of like oh if you miss this many more days you're going to get fired Cause, mm. and i would always push that pretty close to the limit because you know that's what we do that's what we do right <laughs> like um, you know i don't want to go to work today i'm gonna sit at home get high and play video games or you know whatever and uh finally uh actually it was probably a little before june but like may of 2022 like i really like my depression hit an all time low I actually started having suicidal thoughts Mm -hmm. like, you know, and just the whole like thing, the disease had a pretty good grip on me. It was like, you know, besides my parents, nobody cares about me and I just need to do the world a favor. You know, all these like negative things that, you know, you don't look at anything positive when you're in that, you know, in that, in the grips of this disease, you know, it's just, it's going to do everything to bring you down. And at that point, really like pot really wasn't working anymore. Um, I would still get like blackout drunk on the weekends and there'd be like that hour for those first few drinks where I feel like I'm on top of the world, Mr. whatever. But within, you know, a few more drinks, I'm, you know, depressed, angry, like pissed off at the world type attitude. And uh, there's like
0: that bell curve of the buzz, you yeah. know, and that bell curve got sharper and sharper every time that yeah. the duration of the happy right. uh, was shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, then boom, back down. And then, like that, remember that that depression and that low level on both sides of that hump. You know, then afterwards, you actually, you're dipping lower on the other side of it because now I'm drunk and I'm pissed, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And I would just isolate too, man. Like, I would go to work, come home, and nobody would see me all weekend. Like, I was just a hole up. Yeah, I was just a hole up. I've never been like Mr. Social Life of the Party unless I was partying. Um, and then uh, I, I reached back out to the Brook and checked myself back in. Um, pretty much the lowest point I've ever felt. Like uh, there for the first few weeks, uh, crying and just nonstop whatever you know. Um, but I'm checking into the Brook and I, I went through my first uh, first day it was a Friday of uh, IOP class and i'm sitting there listening to the counselor talk and my mind i'm like oh i'm not getting pissed this today i got one last weekend you know one last hurrah and uh you know like called my drug dealer and got a bag of weed and i went home and smoked it and i had like the worst panic anxiety of my life like i can't even describe it like the feeling was so scary um like, I felt like I was having a heart attack, my mind was racing, just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what the word for it is, it was just crazy, and uh, I, it's actually, I reached out to you through a text message, and probably like a rambling page text message, and I remember you uh, responding, sounds awful, <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually like, it's actually kind of what I needed, it kind of snapped me out of it, because I, like, I started laughing, like, yeah, it is awful, you know? And, um, you know, kind of, that was it. I'd thrown away what I'd bought that day. I threw it away and was like, that's it. Like what sick person did that night we were at a meeting and you came for a minute. Yeah. You come and you sit down next to me
0: for a minute. And then after you like patted me on the leg and you were gone.
1: Yeah, man. I was sitting there in that meeting like, and uh, I was like, I couldn't calm down like I thought I was going to have a heart attack and this was some guy's birthday and I was you know in my mind I'm like I'm not about to have a heart attack and pass that in front of these people and that's when I just left and I had actually thrown away the drugs that I had while I was driving down there towards you like to the meeting like 55, like shaking a baggie out the window you know pouring it out because I was like I don't want to just throw the bag because I might like, stop yeah, and come pick back the and bag find it. yeah um and that was uh that was the last time I'd used any drugs or alcohol now. It was oh, what, over a year and a month ago now. Yeah. And um, it was rough starting out. It always is. You know, you're you're physically withdrawn, which isn't much for what I do. But mentally, when mm. people say, well, he's not a drug, I say, I beg to differ. Try to quit. Yeah. Um, I beg to differ. If you've been doing it for 15, 20 years, like I have every day, uh, mentally, it definitely. Um, Puts a toll on your yeah yeah your people thoughts. say
0: pot is not addictive and so then you know they're they they're smoking all you know and okay well then quit for a week yeah. and then what happens uh, yeah. uh, people tell me uh, well it helps my anxiety well of course it does <laughs> <laughs> right uh, so, but so will quitting after a little while you got to get over that hump I old saying uh, another one of those things so that it's easier to, to stay sober than it is to get sober because getting sober is hard. Yeah. I mean, the mind is unbelievable that parasite hooks in there good and deep and it tells you it you know where the relief is through that pain yeah. and, but you gotta say no to get to the other side of that uh, this too shall pass uh, but god damn when you're in the throes of it it doesn't seem like it's going to man I mean there's like I remember a time when I thought that this stuff is like uh, a couple of times quitting I thought that it was like a permanent thing you know my mind told me that, that like the withdrawal well, it's going to be something that was permanent, you know, that there was no end, light at the end of the tunnel, that I'm going to feel like this the rest of my life. I've already, I've, I've went too far. Um, and it's just horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. So this time around, you come in, you got,
1: Chase as a sponsor, right? Yeah, uh, which I know you sponsored Chase. Yeah. You know, you got him through the steps, but in my opinion, y'all are kind of a, a little different we are different um, you're definitely a little more compassionate he's definitely more say a little more drill sergeanty. not in a bad way like he's not like you know but I mean his if I come to him with like crocodile tears his sympathy level is not there's not much there for him and it's actually what I needed like it, it was a point early on in this process where uh, you know it's, I, I may have been a month sober I don't know but I, I just I didn't do what I was supposed to do that day Plain and simple I didn't wait. I called in sick To my IOP class I didn't get up And do these things I'm just laying around In bed Like all day I didn't call him When I was supposed to I finally you know Like alright Get up Let's do whatever I call him at like 5pm So it's calling at noon I tell him all this And he was just like well, What the hell do you expect Like you're not Doing anything right Well, you think You're going to feel better Just laying He's like You've been on the couch For years next time To you get your ass up And do some work You know And uh, that actually Pissed me It pissed me off Sure from an ego standpoint, um, to where I, I'm like, the disease in my head is telling me, oh, I just need to get another sponsor. Yeah, that's fuck him. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's uh, more, more compassionate and, you know, nicer, bigger heart type deal, uh, which couldn't be further from the truth. Chase has got a huge heart. Um, it just came down to me. Like I wasn't,
0: well, the fact is he was telling you the truth and then my knees does
1: not want to hear no, that. And I didn't want to hear it. Um, and that from that day forward, I woke up and I just started getting to work. Um, like anything he told me to do, I did it and I was not slowing down for anything. Uh, I think I got done with the steps in like two months, two and a half months. And, I mean, I'm not working the whole time, so I what else do I have to do? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was my excuse is, like, if I put half half the effort I went into trying to find a bag of dope into these steps, mm-hmm. I would probably be, you know, done with this work and help another guy pretty fast. Um, I was actually, like, my sponsee, he was coming up on a year. I think I've got, like, two and a half months sober on him. Yeah. Like, that's how... That's how fast you yep. recover if we work for it. Yeah, you
0: know? especially around us, man. And that's yeah. one thing I'll say about the way we do it. You get well fast, we get well fast. Yeah, You know, uh, been a little bit discussion about that. You know, some people like take years and years to get to the level our guys get in six months. And, uh, and it's not a, you know, it's a little little uh, bravado in a sense, but it's the truth. Uh, that's, that's what we do. Uh, and it's interesting, your sponsor, his name's Chase, too. Yeah, I got two
1: Chases helping helping me, and it, it is kind of a...
0: Funny things happen yeah, here. Yeah, funny things, yeah. I
1: don't want to say coincidence, because I don't believe in too many yeah. co- coincidences, but uh, it's just how it worked out. And uh,
0: yeah, But there's nothing in the world that keeps you more sober than the guy that you're sponsoring. There really no, isn't. I, it's
1: how you stay sober. I've told Chase that. I was like, man, I hope I've helped you stay sober as much as you've helped me. Yep because uh talking to him on a daily basis walking him through these steps getting to know him building that relationship has definitely been a uh it's been work don't get me wrong yeah yeah uh, but
0: anything in life worth having is
1: yeah and i and that's that's i think that's the biggest thing i've probably learned this time around is that i my whole life has been a lot of uh, sitting around waiting for things to happen mm-hmm. type deal um Mobile, well, your sponsor is definitely the guy for the
0: antidote to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, you know, I got a little uh, complacent through this this time around. I I hit a lull to where it was a, oh, uh, well, I don't need to go to this many meetings. Um, you know, just I don't want to say lost interest, just just getting complacent and then I've, I've luckily had people like chase and my sponsor chase and you and all the guys at spiritual underground that have just kind of keep you know it's not even keep coming back Where our friend travis said, just motivating just you. stay just stay and um it is pretty simple when it gets down to that yeah. you know
0: it's like okay uh, i can pick this or i can pick that when I pick this, things go pretty good. When I pick this, things go to shit. Yeah. You know, and say, okay, well, goddamn it! Even though I don't want to go and I don't feel like it, get and I've, you know, now I've created a habit in my life where it's not even a fight anymore. Yeah. I don't even have to negotiate with myself. But I had times when I did, I had to sit there and like talk myself into going. And today, it's just I just I just get up and go. Like yeah. I get up in the morning, brush my teeth. Uh, when it's meeting night, you know, or even uh, pick up some extras here and there, uh, I just get up and go.
1: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The disease had, you know, was run. The disease is always there; like mm-hmm. it's never leaving. And when you ask me to come on in here to do this, there's a part of me in my head. It's like, oh, you don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, you don't want to come on here and be vulnerable and tell your truth and yada yada yada. And that's you know one thing that one of many things that i've learned is you know it's not about me if me coming on here telling my story helps one other person get sober stay sober whatever it's it's worth it it has nothing to do with me this isn't about me like right. yep. you know there's a reason that we, you know we get sober. i
0: don't want it yeah
1: well it ain't about you yeah there's a reason that people get sober it's a we it's not a me yeah um, and, you know, this stuff, even know this is
0: never, it's rarely talked about, really, but all these kind of things builds up, that sponsee builds up a ca- accountability. Yeah. And coming in here and telling your story on a podcast builds up your accountability. Showing up at meetings regularly builds up accountability. Yeah. And it's like that old thing about the insurance policy. Some people use it so you're paying into that insurance policy against it. But, you know, the same ego that defeated me in ways... Uh, Can work to my advantage when I pile up all this accountability because that same ego don't want to not fall. It doesn't want to fall short and be seen as doing that. So, uh, it's kind of a dynamic that's really hardly ever talked about. I don't hear too many people, uh, you know, because I think you know we come in here night after you know week after week into that meeting and. Every, every We could go all to the middle of the room and do like a baseball team or a football team thing and put our hand in the middle, you know, and say, go team. And we're making a pact that we're all going we're, we're to stay sober. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm counting on you. You're counting on me. I'm counting on him. And we got this pact going on that we're going to do this together. Mm-hmm. And it builds up accountability. It makes you where you're, you know, uh, even if I want to get drunk, I don't want to let all these people down. And I don't want to deal with the consequences of having to do that either of the, cause man, getting those white chips got old.
1: Yeah. I was looking like I was
0: playing a poker there yep. for a while. Yep. Me yeah. too. I had a whole little, I had, I had a little bag of them. I don't know. I had this like a little heavy duty coin purse, kind of a zipper baggy thing. And uh, one day i run into it and I, most of them were ones the same as what we give away in the spiritual underground. So I went in one day and I got the tray and I, Dealt all my old coins into there. Some people would say like those were bad, those were tarnished or something, but I, you know, I don't think they hold that much energy.
1: I don't think they're like crystals. Yeah. It's plastic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Aluminum.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, they mean something, but I it's not like those old ones had any. I just didn't want the old, my point was I didn't want all this old history laying around. Yeah. I wanted to start fresh, you know, and the ones that I have are, although that little thing I made there is a new one for a display kind of thing, that little thing. But I have my original, however many, 12, yeah, 12, 11, and a 24-hour chip. I have my originals that I got on something very similar to that in my bedroom on the wall. Yeah. Those are the ones that were my stepping stones through that first year at the spiritual underground, and them chips mean something to me. Okay. And that whole baggie of them over there was kind of a drag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like to see them. That that reminded me of my failures. Right. <laughs> uh, I wanted I wanted to hang on to my success yeah. and turn loose of my failures.
1: Yeah, you know it's. I'm I feel blessed more than anything that. You know, there was a lot of fear coming back, obviously. You know, I hadn't seen or talked to any of you guys in two years. Um, And I knew a lot of, you know, a lot of faces still, like, walking in there. Uh, And I'm grateful for Travis. Like, my first meeting, I come back, and he took off work that night to meet me up there. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, because he and I were kind of battle buddies Mm -hmm. uh, back in 2019. And the fact he, you know, showed that kind of love meant a lot to me. Um, especially then I was like, I was still a mess, still crying a lot, you know, in meetings when I shared and things like that. I still got a lot of work to do on things, man. Um, we all do, but it's, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity and, um, more than anything, I'm grateful for all you guys that kind of keep me, help me steer the vehicle, so to speak. Cause if I steer it by myself, it's probably going off a cliff. Yep. you know?
0: it really drives home that we idea and that stuff. And I know that I need these guys. And some of the things, you know, I struggle with compassion for guys who toy with this. You know, uh, I know I should. And I know I did. See, that's my bigger reminder of is that I did that at one point. Okay. And now I'm going to sit and judge this guy because he's doing it. Right. You know, and uh, I fight that demon all the time of that. Just get in the boat, God damn it it ain't that fucking hard, uh, but I remember mentors and guys and telling me that one. You know, uh, that's where that participate in my recovery came, thing come from. Where I'm sitting up there blocking and parrying a guy up in a Dairy Queen up in Corden, Indiana, and he's telling me what I should do, or he is. He's not. He is expressing what this program prescribes to do. And I'm blocking and telling him about how all that, I've tried that. Nope, that didn't work, you know, and I'm doing all the bullshit, you know. And, and he stuck his finger in my face and said, thing is, Dan, you must participate in your own recovery. And he got up and walked off and got in his car and started it up and left. And, uh, and it was still years later. It was, I think my, from that point, I'm somewhere around in three years to my, ne- to the, my current sobriety date, even from that. You know, when like that bell went off that night, and I went, oh, right. I got it. I understand now. Right. I was pissed. Fuck you. You don't know me. Yeah. Uh It's just amazing the lengths that this disease will go to to keep you from coming into here. And uh and the fact is, I need every single one of them. That's why when I say these prayers, I never ever let that leave out that thank you for these men it's that 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 God has surrounded me with. Yeah. Because without that that's the thing man you walk in that meeting like you said earlier and you walk in there and you see and you know I'll never quit banging this drum is we've got something special you do not feel that energy going into every A meeting you go to Yeah. Uh, matter of fact sometimes I walk into AA meetings and then you'd think none of these people like one another I've <laughs> been to a couple of those too yeah. you know it's like golly everybody's kind of just in there like against their will and uh, some of them might be yeah and, and uh, but that that camaraderie and, and the joy and happiness and hugs and all the stuff. And the feeling that I know, it's a very a very comforting feeling to know that I have got a support system around me. And if something does go south any second, uh, I've got all the help I could ever need. Absolutely, man. Because if it meant having to come over here and babysit me, that's what some of them would do. If it meant coming and helping me do something because I don't have enough strength to do it on my own, yeah. I can wrangle up people to help me.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm still working on those things. It's hard to ask for help. Yeah. Like my biggest, colleagues, so. you know,
0: you build up that you build up that it's the same building process of like stacking days sober, you know. If I ask for help and I get it. And then I'm down the road and I don't want to ask for help and I ask for help and get it. And ask for help and get it. it just it's easier to ask for help. Yeah. And uh and I watch. You know, it's the thing that I've learned to do, man. I'll I will I will I will blow my horn uh, minutes from a crisis. You know, everybody's gonna know. Yeah. Uh, because just for one thing, just releasing that energy to the two people, relieves it. Just from that standpoint. Just from a kind of like when we say when you share in a meeting and you share your problem in a meeting, it gets cut in half or various sayings of that sort uh, just just uh, it's funny my daughter come to me the other night and she was uh, complaining about something Benton. and uh, and I know how to do that today you know uh, I no longer try to solve her problem you know uh, and I sit there and she used my line on me she said I'm just discharging the energy dad and i like cool yeah, that's uh, and I'm glad I'm one of the you know, I say you discharge it, discharge that negative energy to the universe through safe people because you got to have somebody safe to tell, not somebody who's going to tell you what you should do, uh, just somebody who can hold the space for you mm-hmm. and let you do that. And uh, I'm glad that I'm one of the people on her list to be able to do that with us, considered a safe person, you know, and uh. You know, you get to play that role. People call and, you know, they call and want a bitch. Yeah. And uh, and sometimes that's okay.
1: Uh, yeah. I think probably the biggest thing I got from my recovery was I was doing amends with my sister. Um, she finally looked at me and she said, I'm just glad I finally have a brother. Because mm-hmm. like, I've been so self-absorbed, I would hardly call her. Like, I wouldn't just you know, shoot my sister a text and be like, how you doing? Like, I never did those things. ask her if she needs anything whatever and that was probably the biggest thing that you know part of me is like sad that it took me 40 years to become a good brother but part of me you know warmed my heart like to know like okay i'm doing the right damn thing here you know like i'm actually somebody somebody people can count on me to do things you know i'm dependable i'm reliable i'm loving i'm caring that i'm not just some loser sitting on his couch by himself locked away from the world it was a pretty big uh heart feeling moment I would say yeah, in my yeah. recovery
0: man hell yeah and you know that one of the other critical elements I think that this is self-esteem
1: yeah
0: and uh, recovery builds your self-esteem and when your sister tells you that <laughs> there's a self-esteem gets boosted accountability gets boosted because you don't want to let her down right. and uh, and and you know it's just these little incremental, Steps to a better way of living. Yeah, man. I know that uh, self-esteem has been another hot button for me, too, because I think that's to some extent what a whole big chunk of this boils down to. Most of us, no matter what, even the guys that go around thumping their chests... Uh, it's it, it, there's a self esteem issue there. They could build them, make themselves look tough, so that you know you think that they are. Yeah. Uh, the louder you are, the more I feel that way, and, and I get that because that's ultimately the bottom line of my stuff. Uh, that's a that is the underlying feature of the not feeling like I'm enough, not feeling like I fit in. Uh, I got no friends.
1: Yeah. Yep. Low self esteem is definitely uh, definitely was a big part of my story big part of my life now i gotta reel in the other side of it so i don't get too blowhard <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that's something uh my friend travis talked to me early on too that helped me this time around too he's talking about balance yep like i can't go i burn out my burn myself out on this recovery stuff if i just keep going all day all night hard 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 you know and i talk called and talked to him about something one time and he was like, is it okay if I don't go to meetings meeting so I can play golf with my dad? And he was like, yeah, it's called balance. And I was just like, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't have to, like, not live my life because of recovery. I just have to continue to make sure I meet my priorities, coming to my home group, talking to my sponsor, being available for people that need me, you know, helping my sponsee, and just taking one day at a time, man. That's all I've... I'm 300 and probably close to 400 days sober now and it's just one day at a time it's not no special like secret i hit that year and was like all right it's another year like starting to day one again like it's not it's I'm, I'm proud of it and all that but it's like uh, you know you told me at the meeting it's like you gotta work just as hard in this second year if not harder yeah Than you did this first year because this is when the disease really wants to like Oh, you, you, you've you accomplished something. It's like, yep. yeah. The old story about the guy in
0: there that, after a considerable amount of sobriety, they think they can, you yeah. know, yeah. Can do it on their own again, you know. And he says, drink again in there. But uh, it doesn't start with the drink, it starts with thinking, I can do it. You know, yeah. I don't need this anymore. I've made it. I've graduated. Yeah. I've been sober long enough. I can set this shit down and move on. And I've never been, I, you know, I proved to myself over and over again that I couldn't do that. That's right. Uh, you yeah, know, that's a, the, the funny thing about this disease is it will, you know, it will continue to tell you that, you know, it wants to think that if you, it can carve you off from the herd. And then once it gets you over there, uh, it'll get you, it'll get you to use. Yep. Uh, it's a, but that year too, I do believe is the, is a, it's a tough year, man. As I've said before this, you know, you get every month you get up and Everybody's clapping for you, you know, and yeah. and that is good, and that's a self-esteem booster, you know, and, and, and you do that, and you get to do it every month, and you're looking forward to it, and you know, tonight's the night I get to get my 11-month shift or whatever it is, you know, and tonight's the night, and then you get your one year. And then the crowd settles down. The crowd goes quiet, you know, because we're trying to cheer. We're cheering for the next group of guys coming through, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and and it does. It gets all the diseases. will will get you down. You know, you you've been a superstar, in a sense, and uh, all of a sudden the crowd goes quiet. Yep, and it is. You got to. I do believe, and I that that what I said that night is another one of those things that you know, I didn't plan on saying that. That wasn't something I had thought about. But it does hold a whole lot of, <laughs> it holds a whole lot of truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to fight for that second year at least as hard as you did your first and maybe more. Yeah. And then really, I don't know that I don't fight for my ninth year just as hard either. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I was, at, one point, at some point I surrendered to the fact that in order to have this life I have today, these are the things I need to do. And no days just off. That, yeah, don't get no days off, no vacations. Uh, and you know, I invented a bunch of shit for me to do to keeps me in the ballgame. This podcast is one of the things that is putting accountability on me. People are expecting. I didn't have a no new episode today, and I feel bad. But then I want like, you know what? I'll just put this one out halfway through the day, and I'll figure out how to get another one before next weekend. I kind of like the next dub uh, just in time delivery. Uh, I've seen some podcasters will like. Spend two or three days just guest after, guest after guest after guest after guest and get a whole bunch of recordings and then they can turn them into episodes and then you can schedule them out and you can take a break, you know, and just let those play until uh, you need more. It's almost like a sitcom. But, yeah, yeah, almost like a sitcom. <laughs> but I find this regularity, the consistency of just doing it week by week uh, works for me better. Sometimes guests just fall out of the sky in a hurry and I take them and that will happen i'll load them up and then i can coast for a minute but i never shoot for that if it just happens it happens and i take it i receive it the gift as it is and uh and and just and it is nice when you got a handful of them in a can you you don't have to worry about them anymore i still need to do one more sit down with dad i've got two episodes of dad uh, telling his story and he's not an alcoholic just his life you know, he's 85 years old and had a pretty cool life and uh, and it was a good idea even just if I didn't have a podcast it's a good thing to just get that recorded and then I'll have it for eternity uh, kids can my kids can, his grandkids can listen to it and I'm like encouraging everybody like you ought to sit down with your parents and Everybody's got a phone, and they all have a record function on them. And you don't need all this equipment. Uh, I wish I'd have done it with my grandparents. Yeah, have been really, really cool. Yep. Yeah. One of my aunts did do it with uh, her mom, and it's not she married into the family, so it's not really. I don't that lady is not my grandparent. Oh, uh, and that lady lived to be one hundred and five years old, and she was above a hundred when she did the recordings. That's cool. So she got to speak to a hundred, you know. In the past hundred years, have been a wild hundred years. <laughs> yeah. from when she was a kid, uh, yeah, nineteen twenty something. Yeah, yeah. and this she's probably been gone for ten years now. Well, still, whatever, so, 1915, yeah, I mean, yeah. nineteen fifteen. Yeah. yeah, My, I don't know why I remember, but my dad's mom was born in nineteen oh five. Was when she was born, and uh, and she lived to be hundred and three. Wow, I wouldn't be surprised. Dad don't hit a hundred. I really don't, wouldn't be Yeah. Uh, only thing. And, you know, I worry about his physical body giving up on him, but he, he gets up every other day and goes down to the Y <laughs> and works out at 85 years old. And, uh, cool. you know, he lives up him steps and he doesn't want, and he wants to keep that because he said those then his doctor told him, uh, Walking them steps every day. There's nothing better to keep your strength up and your balance and your stability. That's one of the things that goes first on old people is their stability, mm-hmm. and because then they fall, right? And walking steps keeps you keep keeps your stability muscles uh, strong. Uh, I saw some podcast the other day. You ever heard of Andrew Huberman? Yeah, yeah. He he had that Peter Atia on, mm-hmm. um, and he's a I really like. I figure. I figure Chase probably listens to Huberman because it's got all that uh, peak performance yeah. stuff in it. Uh, but he he was talking about people getting as you age, if you don't do anything else, get your block. And do a, just st- do an exercise where you just step up on the block and you step down off the block and step up on the block and step down off the block. Because like if you fell down the steps you get hurt, if you fell off a block probably not, long as you don't fall on anything. Right. And he said there's no better exercise as you age than that because it maintains your stability. And we're getting old. Yeah. Uh, kind of like recovery, you got to
1: keep taking these steps to build stability, right? Yeah. And you play a lot of golf, right? Yeah, that's my main form of. Exercise or yeah, athletic, it's good, man. You athletic. gotta stay active, man. Yeah.
0: It's it's it's. I think it's ever bit as important as the rest of this stuff is to stay active and have something in your life. And it's kind of. I have a hell of a time exercising. I don't. I can't. But I stay active. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the next best thing. Yeah. You find some way to. Uh... My dad used to always demand to walk golf courses. He wouldn't cart it.
1: I know it. That's that's a real workout. Yeah. Some of them golf courses get hilly.
0: Yeah. Some of them do. Uh, I don't. You know. He's had to give up golf because his joints and shit won't let him. hurts Hurts when he swings now. Yeah. Um. He still tries a little bit. There, I'll promise you. There's a golf club up there in his room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's are golf clubs sitting all over my house and golf balls and. Uh, come home the other day, and there was a big bag of golf balls sitting in the garage. Yeah, I was like, "Did you find those? Did you buy them? Where where'd those come from?" He said, oh, "I went out and was just smacking them off into the woods. <laughs> just out. Didn't want to go to the driving range because uh, ego. Uh, <laughs> Don't want to see people to see me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but
1: so, how'd you play it yesterday?" It was okay, man. The weather was... The rain. Yeah, the rain. It was... I, I think one of the biggest things I like about golf is while it's, you know, you you get you can't get competitive with the people you're playing with, but it really comes down to you versus the course. And, like, you know, it's not a loud, spectatory sport, you know, where, you, you know, or like there's, you know, it's... Nobody's watching. Well, I mean, like, when you're standing over a golf ball and nobody's talking, and you, got, you can hear the wind blowing the trees, and, I mean, it's almost a slight form of meditation. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, obviously, I might have some choice words when I shank one in the woods or something that's not very spiritual, but and I, I find a lot of peace out there just uh you know, especially, like, even yesterday with the rain, it was like I was soaked from head to toe after yeah, you know, I had an umbrella, but eventually it was like I, I got to stand there and swing. Yeah, with nobody's holding the
0: umbrella over yeah, you while
1: you swing. I finally just got to the point where it was like kind of acceptance. Like, okay, I'm going to play wet today. Yeah, I'm going to so just
0: lean into the rain. Sometimes I like that when I'm stuck and I'm just wet, yeah. and you just lean into it and you surrender to it and you say, "Yep, yeah, oh yeah. well." And There's actually, no just, sense in fighting
1: it. Yeah, I actually ended up doing okay through the ring. You know, that was the wettest I think I would played. You know, probably most probably since I was a kid, when you're a kid out there, you can't drive a car and you walk, you know, you just you accept it. But 40 years old now and I was like soaking wet and I was just like, OK, I'm going to be playing wet today. It just is what it is. Yeah. So stop fighting everything and everybody.
0: Yeah. No sense. And that's the thing. If you sit there and you bitch about that in your head and you fight about it in your head, you have a horrible time. Yeah. And we get taught through this stuff somehow that, you know, you say
1: no big deal. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that that have happened um, this time around recovery where it's just kind of acceptance and, you know, taking that inventory, even, the, you know, at night too. But, you know, I caught myself like last week, my my cousin was in town from Florida and we're playing putt-putt and he, I told him to quit flailing that club around or whatever and he, he flailed it back and hit me right in the nuts. And, I mean, I immediately, like, I grabbed him by his shirt and brought him to I was like, I told you to quit swinging that thing. And, like, immediately realized, you know, I was I was wrong. Like, he's 14, but he's bigger than me. You know, like, he's a big kid. And uh, immediately, like, made amends to him. Was like, bro, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't even make excuses or, you know, I didn't sit there and, like, well, told you, take you to take a shot
0: do it. in the nuts, man. It's awful hard oh, to God. override yeah. that. That's one of those that's, points. It's kind of
1: tough to go, yeah. oh.
0: No big
1: deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that aggression, though, went up real. Like, I went from, like, 1 to 10 real quick. And then immediately, like, realized, mm-hmm. he's still a kid. You know, is it, did he really harm me? You know, I'm like, they're okay. Yeah. You know, and, like, immediately, like, made amends and gave him a hug and told him I love him and sorry and all that. And, like, yeah. it's just, like, little things like that, man, on a daily mm-hmm. basis that uh, when you live, when you know, walk in this path, living this life. You know, my temper, even on a golf course, or dealing with drivers on the road, or whatever at work, when my boss does something I don't like, or he doesn't know what, he, whatever it is, man, it's just, um, you know, living the principles of these programs and just remembering that pretty much, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the stuff I deal with on a daily basis is no big deal, like. And am Probably I like the know,
0: biggest three words uh, going? And uh, you know, is Don Major and. Kevin Price, Pr- pride, pride. Why do, what was it? Uh, Kevin Pride. Oop! I'm not supposed to say last names. Um, <laughs> brought that concept to me, you know, and it, one of the things a few years ago, it sunk in because it is. It's it's just a key, and even when it is a big deal, I got to talk myself into believing it ain't. Right. Uh, uh, that powerless thing. What am I going to do about it anyway? You know, the kid hit you in the nuts, and it was over. You know, well, I can't, I can't undo it. Right. Uh, he's probably not going to do it again. It's probably had an impact on him too. That he's going to be a little more careful now. And uh, and you're right. You know, he will, should have been more careful. He shouldn't be slinging around a damn golf club. <laughs> Somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't listening. But he listened now. But
1: whoops I'm sorry I didn't mean to be yeah it, it, I caught like you know that's one of those things where have ruined the rest of my afternoon with him or yep. you know, the rest of my days and I immediately like course corrected it was like okay that's not what we do it was an accident you know put your ego aside go apologize to him yep. you know one he's a kid but even though he's you know three inches taller than me you know, um, but you know the other thing is it's just, just not how I live anymore I don't want to I'm not going to ruin the rest of my day because of an accidental shot to the groin or Cause you cut me off in traffic or whatever, you know, it's like things like that. It's just like, let it go. It's not a big deal. I'm proud of my traffic today, you know, cause I
0: just don't, it was a thing for a while yeah. and I just don't even actually, I maybe have uh, more submissive in traffic than ever before, you know, cause it's just not worth it to me. Yeah. You, know, you need to get in there. I right will let off the gas, man. Yeah. There, jump in there, brother. Yeah, I don't care. Instead of be hugging the bumper in front of me, the motherfucker, you ain't getting in front <laughs> of me.
1: <laughs> yeah, you cut me off.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 we drove down to the E Town yesterday, man. And I'm I'm stepping. And I'm and I drive. I don't drive fast. I don't have cars that go fast. Uh, they're really not. Those SUVs are not meant to really, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, but and I got passengers in the car you know they don't need to be pinned to the seat and being jerked around and all that kind of shit uh and i'm driving down there and i'm looking down and i'm like 80 85 and that's cooking along yeah and i'm slow You know, I mean, I feel like I'm holding up traffic because, you know, people coming up on my back and going around me. I'm thinking, God damn, how fast are they going that they can get around me that fast? Uh, But you know what? This is as fast as I'm driving and y'all just going to deal with it because I am doing I'm not a hazard. I'm doing the speed limit or better. Uh, But I just uh, get out there and. The world you just mentioned, you know, the boss, the traffic, the whatever, you know, there's there's a lot to deal with. As my sponsor says, it's a miracle any of us are sober and can deal with the craziness that actually is out there because there's always something to latch on to and make a problem out of if I want to. Yeah. Uh, but I gotta think about that, that little gif of the dude jumping the ramp on the motorcycle with his no hands mm-hmm. and it says no big deal that uh, that Kevin used to post all the time yeah. uh, comes across my radar it's burned in today and when something happens I think of, no big deal mm-hmm. it's no big deal yeah. even when my daughter come and told me she was hooked on fentanyl essentially uh, no big deal and that's a big deal but I have to tell myself it's no big deal. No big deal. Well, cool, brother. Man, uh, you know, I certainly, uh, the the benefits and, like, the like collateral benefit of watching guys come in and get well, you know, that's also another one of those builders in my recovery. Uh, I'm sure glad you're back. I've been glad you have been for some stupid reason and who knows what it is. You've always had a spot in my heart even before we worked together. And then you work with a guy and you get to know him pretty good. And there is a sadness like when they disappear. I feel a little bit like of a rejection type of thing, you know, and I can't help it. I'm human too, right? right? It's like, you know, it feels like I've been rejected or I failed. I failed you, you know, your sobriety didn't last and I didn't do something right. And I know that's all stinking thinking, but you can't help it. Right. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the flip side of it is, you know, that you're, uh, I'm glad you're back and I hope you, I'll do my best to encourage you to stick around from here on out. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Thanks for because this is the here. way to do it. Yeah, man. I mean, this is the, this is the easier, softer way. Absolutely, man. everything else
1: seems harder. It is, is it? I, as a famous somebody who just you know relapsed not long ago said, I went back out and experimented for you guys. It didn't get any better. It didn't and get any I better. can I can attest to that. It was not a better two years or whatever while I was gone. If anything, yeah. it was much worse. Things get yeah, never before. better, always worse. Yeah, yeah, and it's a. That is a fact.
0: Yeah. And funny how we, you know, uh, how hard that is to, we have to prove that to us, to ourselves essentially. Yeah, so I don't having, believe
1: you guys. I'm gonna go test that for myself. Yeah. And as you know, that's not really the
0: thought, but somehow or another, at some level that is, uh, yeah. that's not my conscious thought. Yeah. y'all don't know what you're talking about, but they do have a little bit of, Oh, won't happen to me. Not me. Right. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I thank you for coming on today. And, uh, Appreciate you. I love you. Love you too, man. uh, Thanks for having me. Hope to continue to uh, see you on Tuesday nights and more. All right, everybody. Hey, it gets this easy. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, you're not doing it right. And thank you for allowing Nick and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner today. Peace out.